Technically, Erevim Kippur, Tavshin Ayin Aleph. Tavshin Ayin Aleph, saw a very interesting, beautiful Rosh Tevis for the Tavshin Ayin Aleph is Teish Nas Ashiras Amitis. Ashirus Amitit. Areino Ashirus. We need to use Areino. No, listen. Kodila, can I get a bit of drink? That's more than. Uh, Yom Kippur, a time for forgiving. Yom Kippur, a time for asking for forgiveness. Yom Kippur, a time where we try to appease, we try to justify, not justify, but rectify. Rosh Hashanah, we say mitzvah sayyim b'shefa. Rosh Hashanah, the mitzvah of the day is the shefa. Thank you. Sukkis, mitzvah of the day, Dalad Minim. Pesach, the mitzvah is matzah. Shavu is man matan teresenu is nami lochem. Many, many different approaches to shavuos. Ayim Kippur, we're introduced to a new concept. Yom Kippur will introduce the pure spirituality. Most people tend to shy away from the concept of spirituality. Most people, are you getting something? You have to watch. You have to Not for me! The expression that many people use, the Jew at heart. Don't give me the spirituality. Don't give me the mitzvah. the connection. You want to put on film? I'm good. Who told you you're good? Who, who's your judge that's telling you you're good? I'm good. Come learn Taylor. I'm not, I'm not, it's not interesting to me. It doesn't stimulate my mind.
which in itself is ironic. Teda happens to be extremely stimulating. Not just stimulating, Teda introduces the concept of connecting emotionally emotions with thought, with mental, with mental. The word I wanted to use, I don't remember, because and that's not here. What else is no? Mind and matter, mind over matter. Moyach shalit alalev, the mind over the heart. Where does spirituality come into this? Spirituality, most people will say is connected to supernatural. Spirituality until the Orson Welles came along until Orson Welles introduced the idea of heavens and earth the idea of us possibly being invaded by something from outer space it was Shemayim Shemayim Hashem Vaharat's not Sandavnayadam the heavens are the gods and the earth was the person Matan Torah brought the two together. When we received the Torah on Sinai, God came down on Sinai, and God said, I'm going to now open up the channel, which will make the Yenim, the Mata, and the Tachtein of the Maila. We will now be able to mix so when they want to say the first astronaut, the first one, the one on the moon, is Neil Armstrong. We know that Moshe Rabbein has spent 40 days and 40 nights in heaven. The Tanoim were always going up to heaven. Yom Kippur, we're going to talk about the different tefillahs. And one of the tefillahs we hear about Rabbi Shmuel going to visit in heaven. So spirituality, in essence, to the norm, to the person on the street, they don't connect with spirituality. The person that can watch a baseball game, that can involve themselves in any other mundane issues of the world doesn't find solace in spirituality they don't find connection with spirituality they don't find themselves they would think of themselves that they are freaking out and they would probably have to smoke something to get so high and yet both Torah and Tefillah can give us a high 
that nothing could possibly, that we couldn't ascertain through anything else in the world. <coughs> Yom Kippur is pure spirituality. Yom Kippur people wear a kittel, the white garment. And they come in with the kittel to shul because this represents white, and we look like angels. We pray like angels. Whereas the entire year, when we say Shema Yisrael, we say the Pasuk Baruch Shem Kavod quietly, and Yom Kippur it said out loud, to show that we are just like the angels. And when it comes the end of Yom Kippur, and we daven the last tefillah and the ilah, we are in high, a euphoria of saying that I have conquered and I have now connected with God in such a way like I've never seen or felt before. That's what Jim Kippur is all about. So the question then becomes, who's Jim Kippur for? If Jim Kippur is so, so spiritual, who's it really for? Who's really on the on the block? that connects with this quote-unquote Yom Kippur. And therefore we say that Yom Kippur doesn't have to have a special arrangement. Yom Kippur doesn't have a special service to it. A physical service that we connect via the shafer, via the food, via the matzah, or any other things, Yom Kippur connects with a special thing called godliness. A special concept known as spirituality. And with this we are connected and we are forgiven. The rabbi once made a Yom Kippur sermon. Very touching, very emotional, very powerful. And after the sermon, which was home-based, which was all to drive home the message of forgiveness and forgive your friend and forgive your fellow neighbor and even forgive your enemy. And he was at his prime. He was at his best. He delivered, he, he threw it all out, he, everything he had. He, let, he held back no, no stops. And he decided to really get adventurous. And he said to his congregants, So after hearing my words of encouragement and inspiration, Who out there forgives your enemies? And he thought for sure, they're all going to rise up and sing who knows what. 60% of the shul actually did. They raised up their hands and forgive their enemies. This is not enough. And he gave another diatribe, another ten minutes to inspire and to... And now he says again, so now who is out there that for you? And now the entire shul, except for one old lady, sitting in the back of the ladies' section. And the old lady in the back of the ladies' section, Mrs. Goldberg. And he says, Mrs. Goldberg, do you not forgive your enemies? She says, No. 
So could you please come up here and tell us all why you won't forgive your enemies? And she gets her little way, and she gets the little old lady walking her way down the aisle, down the pew, not a pew, because it's on the shul. And she comes to the front of the shul, and she says, I don't forgive my enemies for one reason only. He says, and what's that? I outlive them all. She was 98 years old. So all her enemies were long dead. She had no reason to forgive them. In Kippur, we ask for forgiveness. We look at the concept of tshuva. And when you talk to somebody, you say, tshuva, repentance. Repentance, tshuva. This, hold on to now. That has to get onto the box. We tell you, tshuva, repentance. Do they really mean the same? Is repentance the actual translation of teshuva? So let us examine what is repentance and what is tshuva. Repentance means I know I've done and for this I repent. And I would like to make a resolution henceforth not to involve, not to get and not to do all that I have done I'd like to make amends that's, I repent for what I did Tshuva takes us to a different level the Altarebbe explains in Tanya Tshuva is the Avedis Zdenis Nasli Kizachias the Altarebbe explains in Tanya the sin actual the actual sin itself gets elevated to a level that they themselves become schusim. You know, take negative and try to turn it into positive. Probably blow up. Ask the electrician. Unless it's too uh, negative. Too, I didn't say negative. Say too negative. Say take a negative and try to turn that line into a positive line. Fireworks. Or take the fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't, it doesn't jive. And therefore, the question remains, what is it that we took all of a sudden, the Zdainis, the Avedis, and we turned them into Zdainis? How did we all of a sudden, not just twist it, you have to understand what the whole concept of when a person does an Aveda, and how the person fixed the Aveda. There are many different comparisons. One comparison is one concept, not a comparison. One concept is Chevel, Yaakov Chevel Nachlasai. Yaakov has a rope, which is his inheritance to God. And the Altarev explains that this rope connects the person to the heaven above. And it gives the person the opportunity to pull on it every so often to wake up upstairs and say, Hey, I need. Yachachu. And he On the other hand, if Chasvesholim, a person sins, the person severs a strand on his rope. 
So if you tell me Zdenis Nasale Kizakhis, how does that relate to my rope? On the other hand, every affair is written down. Person writes everything down throughout throughout the course of the day, everything is written in his handwriting. And in the evening at night when the person goes to sleep, they go the Shama goes to the Mila and signs off. That's why a lot of us suffer from sleep deprivation. We try to keep the Nishamba down here. Don't go sign that bit, please. I'll never get out of it. So the hand signs off on this. What happens with the Avera? The person repents, does chuva. The Avera gets erased. It's erased. Beautiful. The problem is, when you write in a piece of paper with a pencil and then you erase it, it leaves a mark. The paper is no longer that white, clean paper. You've done a mark to this. So when you tell me Zdenis Nasalik Hizachis, then the paper should not leave a mark, but the paper should become nicer than it was before. It should be enhanced now. It should become... Where does that come in the physical realm? It doesn't have... It doesn't connect. It doesn't jive. We see that in the world of sins, we see God deals with them in a very, very different way to different people. Shaul HaMelech did one sin. And for that one sin, royalty was removed from him, royalty was removed from his family and generations thereafter. For one sin. David HaMelech committed two sins, and they were both commuted. Where's justice? Now we've spoken several times, I believe, about the Medrash, the Meshach Rabbeinu, who saw the story with the person, with the shepherd, etc. Meshach also asked, where is righteousness? Where is that right emes that God is portraying? We find similarly that same question gets asked over and over and again referring back to the davening of Yom Kippur's Musaf where the actual question was asked Zu Teda Zu Is this the reward for Teda? And God had a very very profound answer to the question One more word I'll destroy the entire world God didn't try to answer it. God didn't try to rectify, justify, patch up. To One more word, I destroy the world. Get off it. Leave it alone. Trapella. What kind of answer is this? Again, something we'll get back to in the Tzulus Musif. So back to Dabar Amalek and Shaul. Shaul's single sin was so severe that he was punished for generations thereafter and David was exonerated. What happened? Let us examine the two sins, the sins. Shaul HaMelech was approached by the Navi, Shmuel HaNavi. Shmuel HaNavi
It's hard to describe, actually, a Navi. Why is it hard to describe a Navi? Because although the Rebbe explained several times, Yesh Navi Bisrael, and the Rebbe spoke how there is a Navi in this generation, people can't relate to the Navias, to prophecy. People are so used to the word and the idea and the Muslim, the concept of coincidence, they can't relate to prophecy. This person predicted such and such, and this is how it transpired. Got lucky. Got lucky. There's a story we told a million times also about the newspaper. A fellow found the newspaper. And he, got, he was sitting on a bus and he found the newspaper and it was not that day's newspaper, it was tomorrow's newspaper. <laughs> Tell you the story. Tomorrow's newspaper and he said, I'm going to get rich now. He took all the sports scores and he wrote them all down. He's going to go bet on everything and he'll become a multimillionaire. I mean, and then he decided, since I'm a multimillionaire now, my first good deed, I'm going to look in the obituaries and see who's dying and I'm going to warn them that they're going to die. Turned to the obituaries, the first name there was his, he died of a heart attack. <laughs> Tens of people get shocked like that. You know, the guy was a heart patient that right before he had open heart surgery, he said, it's my lucky day, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. On his way to the hospital, he bought a lottery ticket. Surgery was seven hours. And after the surgery, one of the children was looking at the lottery ticket and said, my gosh, Papa won. He won the lottery. But if we tell him, he's going to have a heart attack. So he went to the doctor, what should we do? doctor said, hey, I'm the maladietia, I'll take care of this. And he walks in, he sits down, and he examines him, and he says, So, Mr. Haravis, how are you feeling? He says, Baruch Hashem, doctor, I'm pretty good. Are you comfortable? I make a living. He says, Mr. Haravis, I was telling you, let me ask you a question, very, very straight question. I want to see how you can, the monitor will react to this to your heart. What would happen if somebody told you, you won the lottery today? <laughs> he laughs. Doctor, he says, if I won the lottery, I'd give you half. The doctor died of a heart attack. <laughs> Reactions. Shaul Amalek was told to kill out Amalek. Destroy, eradicate Amalek. And Shaul Amalek goes out to eradicate Amalek. And he comes back. Killed out everybody. Men, women, children. But he had this magnificent bunch of sheep that he spared. And Shmuel Anavi comes to Shaul Melech, and Shmuel Anavi comes to him and says to him, What is this sound I hear? Now you have to understand, again, we don't understand the idea of Navi, the Musag of a Navi. When the Rebbe told I had a very, very interesting story about 20 years ago. We had, the, the she- believe it or not, the shear was once upon a time Tuesday night. And as a matter of fact, I think after Yomtev, it's reverting back to Tuesday night. Yeah. For the Mahamas, it's better also. So, I think we're going to go to Tuesday night. Anyway, the shear was Tuesday night, and we had, the, obviously, a very different crowd. And the one of the fellows, and the deal was the same. Shear finishes, everybody out of the pool. 
No standing around, no put, because then it turns into balagan. This way a person knows he comes to the shir, he's out of the shir, it's over. There's one, one, at one point, the guys decided, you know, let, for, do us a favor, for the last 15 minutes of the shir, let's learn Shulchan Aruch inside. It's been a long time since we're out of yeshiva. We want to learn inside, the, from what the halachas, let's start from Aleph, we'll start from the beginning. And it was going very well, every week, 15 minutes. It's before the internet, it wasn't recorded. We learned Hilchus film, and Hilchus film it says that a child, a cotton, cannot put on film. Because he cannot keep his body clean, okay? He might pass wind. And that was it. After the shear with Avon Maidiv, and everybody left, and one guy lingered. And I said, Oh, no, 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 no. We have a deal. He said, Oh, no, 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 no. I'm in trouble. No? What's the problem? We learned halacha today. That a child cannot put on film because he's going to pass wind. He doesn't know how to control that. I thought, he says, that you're not allowed to, that a child, that a person, if he has to go to the bathroom physically, has to take off his film to go to the bathroom. You can't stay in the film. But just to pass wind doesn't mean you have to go to the bathroom. It shouldn't be a problem. He said, okay, so you learned Allah. He says, no. It's not the story. It's not 20 years ago, because the story of the guy who was 29 years old at the time, the guy who was 29, yeah, today he's 50-something, yeah. So it's 20, 20 years ago, the story. More. And he says that he's 29 years old, and for his bar mitzvah, he went into Yechidus to the Rebbe. The mitzvah boy, a little 13-year-old boy. And the Rebbe would ask different questions to different mitzvah boys. There wasn't a standard Yechidus where the Rebbe said to you, what, when are you putting on film? How long do you... you know, there's no standard questions. There was one boy who came in once, his mitzvah shuttle is what happens if a person doesn't have arms? What does he do about film? And instead of the Rebbe asking, what's your mitzvah shuttle? The Rebbe asked him, I want a halacha in film, what happens if a person doesn't have a head? Where does he put his film? He says to me, I went in for Bar Mitzvah to the Rebbe, and tonight I had a flashback of my Bar Mitzvah from Yechidus, Bar Mitzvah. The Rebbe asked me by my Yechidus, why is a cotton not allowed to wear film? And I didn't know. And unlike the normal chassid that would run out from Yechidus and run to Shogunarach to get the answer and write immediately a letter to the Rebbe saying, I got the answer. I was 13. I was a child. I let it ride. And throughout my years, if I didn't really have to go to the bathroom and I only passed wind, I said, no. 16 years, he says. The Rebbe warned me 16 years ago and I didn't take heed. The guy was trembling. Now, there's a lot of people in this world that tend to say at that point in time, well, if you're coming to me with this story, I have a solution for you. Personally, my um, chicken cowardly answer to situations like this is, 
One minute, I think my window's open and I'll jump out rather than have to talk to the guy about this. I really can't face this uh, type of thing. So I said, uh, you got a problem? She says, you bet I do, but what do I do? Check it film. Check it film. Yeah, I just checked it a few months before and L. Okay. It's an idea. Now that you discovered something that the Rebbe had told him he didn't take care of. Checked his film. And he had a very interesting custom. He checked his film every year L. And every year he went to a different safe. He'd find suffering wherever he could find one. So you go over here to a different safer, so the last year safer might have looked at it, and I'll open it again this year, and say, oh, this guy's totally okay, it's fine. And not because, listen, you know, it's, time is money. So, you want to get it over with, so that you can get another pair on, another pair, another pair. So he wanted to make sure that it was a unique pair of film to every safer he brought it to. So he brought it that year to Yaakov, so after this conversation, he brought it to Yaakov Mendel Zirkin, Rabbi Zirkin's son, who lives in Maristown. Yaakov Mendel was then working under his father's wing. Yaakov Mendel was checking the film and he found it to be puzzle lechatchalav. This poor fellow never put on a kosher pair of film. He turned to his father and he says, "Tai, he says the film the puzzle lechatchalav." So you like to see where? Can you tell me where? And he shows his father. He says, "In these parshas, different parshas that you have in the film, he showed him which parsha it was. He didn't tell him." Go find it. His father said, No, I can't find it. He looked at it and said, I don't see it. He said, you know what? It's on this line. He went on the line. I don't find it. The word, Lamed Alevei Saf Yud Chav, instead of Lamed Alevei Saf Yud Chav, said Lamed Alevei Yud Saf Chav. Said Lavizcha. The chances of a human eye seeing that, if you're a bookie, l'cha'ira is 1 out of 17. 1 out of 18. Why do we say that odds? Because he checked his film for 16 years by different stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody ever caught it until the 17th guy. And then the 18th guy was the father. So it was one <laughs> um, Right. So in other words, that was a lousy mathematical equation. Um, it was... Pretty much an impossibility to find because when you're looking at it and you're reading it, you see all the letters in the word. Even if you say, "Okay, I know how many letters each word has," and I'll count the words, and I say, "Okay, this one has five, six, three, two, one," it and you check. Displaced. It was displaced, and the word, therefore, making the film puzzle. And this guy was totally devastated, never to have put on kosher film all his life. Twenty-nine years old. He had him checked. He had him changed. And uh, I believe he wrote to the Rebbe afterwards. I don't know. I don't. I can't tell you any kind of, any continuity of the conversation of dialogue between him and the Rebbe. Or, but I know that he definitely wrote to the Rebbe afterwards. I I did recommend to him not to write to the Rebbe for a tikkun because when you go to the Rebbe and you ask the Rebbe for a tikkun. You're looking to bite off a lot more than you can possibly chew, usually. Mm-hmm. Although the Rebbe wasn't somebody to come down on people, you know, but the Rebbe even gave you what the Rebbe considered the most minute thing for us. It's almost like flying to the moon with our wings. 
Dovra Shal Melech turns to Shmuel Anavi to tell you where this conversation came from, this tangent that we just went off to. And he says, Shmuel, you ask me what these sheep are. Obviously, you don't know. You're a Navi. You're the Navi. Nothing to talk about. You're the Navi. We respect you. And a lot of things you get from God. Listen, you were raised from your mother's womb as a Navi. And you were brought to the Semitish, and you had, as a little infant yet, you already had revelations from God. Respect that. But not everything. And you're human. You're human, and here, look. Look how human you are. You don't know what these sheep are. And therefore, as what the sheep are most famous for, wool. So he figured he'll pull the wool over Shmuel's eyes. And he said to Shmuel, your people want to bring karbanas to your God. They want to bring sacrifices. And therefore they saw these beautiful sheep and they decided this is a perfect sacrifice to bring to God. So therefore they took and they salvaged these few animals for sacrifices to your God. The Shmuel reiterates, Did we not tell you everything has to be eradicated and destroyed? Yes, but the people figured that this would be a merdic opportunity to bring these sacrifices to, God, to your God. And finally, when Shmuel lost his patience with him, he said, I've sinned. When he saw that he really lost his battle, at that point, Shmuel said, you've burnt your bridges. Let us look at Davar Melech. Davar Melech wanted to marry a certain woman. She had one major problem, this woman. She was married. She was married to Uriah. And Davar Melech wanted to marry his wife, Batsheva. So Davar Melech told the general, take Uriah to battle, put him in the front of the battlefield and desert him. In Mela he'll be killed. He'll be killed at war. I can marry his wife. She'll be an Almana. And she was killed for that. She was killed. He was killed. Maria was killed. And he married Batsheva. At the time, the Navi that Davar Melech had was Nasan Hanavi. Nasan Hanavi came to Davar Melech with a message from God. And David, with great, great respect, David was not the Islam, David was a major, major king. Huh? Oh no, don't start that. You know, I'm going to Switzerland next day here. They're bringing packages. No. Yeah, I'm glad you think it's funny. I gotta take a train from Zurich to, to Geneva. Everybody wants to go online and buy me the ticket. So we're welcome. Um, I don't even know how much it is, like 60 pounds, uh, 60 franc, 70 franc one way. Anyway, Davar Melech heard Nassim had a message, and he said, please tell me a message. And Nassim said, I have a marshal for you, a story to tell you. And I'd like you to please give me your opinion on the story. 
there was a very wealthy man and a very poor man. And the wealthy man had a tremendous amount of sheep. And the poor man had one sheep. And the one sheep he looked after like nobody's business. This was his life and glory. Ba'ayim, the rich man, had a visitor. And the rich man had a visitor and he had to entertain him. So he went out to the field, thank you, and he took the poor man's sheep and he shechted it and he gave it to him. What is your opinion of the story? And David said, and are you kidding? This guy has to be killed. And Nelson said, it's you. You did just that. And immediately David broke down and he screamed, Chatosi, Chatosi, I've sinned. And Nelson Hanavi says to him, because you're so remorseful, and because you immediately fessed up to what you've done, God commuted your sin. What is the second sin David Melech did? David Melech counted the Jews on a straight basis. Instead of people bringing shkolim or, or sticks or whatever it was, he counted the people. And there again, when approached and reproached about what he did, immediately he said, Chatasi Me'aid, I've sinned terribly. Please, Rebbeinu forgive me for what I've done. I know I did wrong. And once again, he was forgiven. Mentally, find four people from here. You down ready? I didn't. You down? I was five of us, didn't Huh? It's almost a quarter to. It's already a five to. Ten minutes. Don't call me. Call Ezra. Ask him what time he's going to He can make it up here. So David Melech's sin was commuted because he turned and he said, "I've sinned." David did not negotiate. David did not try to answer. But more than anything else, David's emuna, emuna pshuta. David believed in God and His servant. David believed that the Navi came to him. I didn't pull the wool over anybody's eyes. I was caught. So that was one case where tshuva was done immediately, but so full-heartedly that it wipes everything away. Another such case that Mendel Futafas was a chassid of tremendous, tremendous virtue. See, Nat would have appreciated that word. He was a man that sat in prison in solitary confinement for years, decades. But was so connected to the Rebbe, we wouldn't even imagine such connection of ourselves, per se. Imagine yourself sitting in solitary confinement and you want you have a question to ask the Rebbe. And they won't even let you write it on a paper. And he sat down and he meditated his question and related to the Rebbe. And this happened, I don't remember, two or three times. 
What were the questions? Mendel for the When Mendel was freed from prison years later, and he arrived home, his wife told him he had three letters from the Rebbe. And each letter corresponded with the times that he sat down and meditated his question. Each time that he sat down and said, Rebbe, I have a question, and the responses were to his questions. Where does this come from? What does this stand for? I had a horrific conversation yesterday. A Kayin wants to marry a Gurusha, a divorced woman. He's not allowed to. One of his approaches he's attempting to do is disqualify his kahuna. He is trying to trace back his lineage to disprove that they are actual kahanim. Now, the truth is that kahanim should have shtar yuchsen, should have the pedigree showing where they come from. Because after all, they're in such involvement. And the famous story with the Kayin that got divorced because his wife wasn't pregnant. He was not a Lubavitcher, he was a Litvish fellow. And his wife didn't become pregnant after 10 years and he divorced her. He was asked to halacha. And then he found out she was pregnant. They couldn't, re- no, a few weeks later. And they couldn't remarry because she was a Kayin and she was divorced. So the Rebbe told him to go ask his mother. He came to Rebbe and he found out he was adopted, he wasn't a Kayin. So this fellow never wants to live, wants to marry this woman, and therefore is looking to discredit his father, his grandfather. So, in the conversation, I asked him, on what basis does your father actually believe he's a kain? And he said to me, he wrote a letter once to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe wrote back to him, "You didn't put Hakayin in your name." <laughs> So I said to him, and what are you? What exactly are you trying to derail here? Now, obviously, you have to also understand that if the fellow is willing to live with a Grisha, wants to marry a Grisha, and is looking to disrupt his pedigree, etc., he's a little bit off color. So to, to be so spoiled from such a story as it ever said, <laughs> but yes, never be strong. And this is something that we have to understand where we pull, where we can say yes and no. So Mendel Futavas had that belief of yes, now we be so he had no problem with it. And he was sitting in the house, it doesn't, the story never really has any um, source to him. At least Mendel never said why he was in this house, what he was doing there, where he got there, how he got there. In a guy's house. And the guy was an old guy, but he was. He had his children lived by him, and their child, their daughter, lived by them, by him also. But the children used to go, the husband and the wife actually, used to go to work in the city. And it was a long distance. So they couldn't travel back and forth every day in the Russian, Russian, Russian cold. So the child stayed by him. They went once a week to the city, 
came back at the end of the week. In the course of the week, he raised the child. One time, Ravendel was by the house, and the girl didn't come home. It was a designated time. She said she's coming home, and she wasn't coming. And this started to scare the old man, but the old man couldn't venture out. because The freezing cold would have killed him. So he didn't know where to turn, what to do. And they were sitting and sitting, and all of a sudden, they hear by the door, the dog, the family dog, scratching on the door, and howling, barking. And the dog runs away. He said, I don't know, maybe all of a sudden the dog is getting cold, he wants to come in. Not interested, the old man says. A few minutes later, it happens again, and the third time, and the fourth time, finally, they started getting suspicious something's going on, the child hasn't come home. They decided, they had their coats on, and they waited, and as soon as the dog scratched again, and barked, they ran, they opened the door, and they ran after the dog. And the dog ran for, for several minutes, and stopped on top of the body of the child, lying there freezing in the, in the snow. What was the dog doing? The dog kept running back to the child and lying on top of the child to give the warmth to the body, to keep it alive. And every, as soon as it felt that the baby, the child was breathing again, it ran back to the house to tell them, come help. So he learns, he says, what coldness can do to a person and how warmth no matter what the source is of what we understand the source, here's the warmth of a dog's body that was warm, which is totally unnatural to have done what it did. But to understand on instinct that it had to warm and heat the body of the child to keep the child alive. And this, therefore, he says, I learned what the beauty of Taylor is and how the warmth of Taylor can actually transmit Kedusha can transmit to a person and take the most dead corpse and bring it back to life. Now this, he says, is what Shuvah is all about. A third story is told with the Friedrich Rebbe. When the Friedrich Rebbe came of age for marriage, his grandmother, Rebbe was not a stupid woman, to say the least, and had criteria she wanted for the girl. Intelligence, midas, this, that, and the father should have money. She wanted the to have money because she saw her son, the Rebbe Rashab, struggle enough. There were times in Beis it's very interesting, today someone asked me, on in Kippur, should you light shaiva or should you light regular paraffin candles? Is the paraffin candles are a tenth of the price of the shaiva candles. Tenth. Or actually, I think you told me the other way. I think the, the shaiva is ten times as much as the paraffin. <laughs> it's the other way. Okay. Um, don't make away the other ways. I, thought I asked you once that question. You couldn't figure it out either. Three guys came to check into a hotel. And they asked for room for three. The guy said $30. I said, okay, put down $30, went up to the room. And the guy was looking at the chart. He said, oh, that room is 25 So he called over to Bellop and said, take up, 20, take up $5 change. So Bellop gets in the elevator and he says to himself, listen, there's three people, three into five, 
don't go. I'm going to give each guy back a dollar. They each one paid ten dollars, so I'll give each one back a dollar change. Now each one paid nine dollars, right? Nine times three, twenty-seven, and two dollars I'll keep for myself. So much. He's giving each one a dollar back. It's five dollars. Yes. Okay. He'll give each guy one dollar. Says three dollars he's giving back. Says twenty to seven each one, and two dollars he's going to keep for himself. It's twenty-nine. We have to the thirty years old. No, he didn't. Yeah. Shah, I said Shah. He went up yeah, with five dollars. Each one paid ten dollars. He gave each one a dollar change. Right. So now they paid nine dollars each. Right. Well, they paid nine dollars okay. each. Subtracting from the ten, okay? So it's twenty-seven. What? And he took two. It's twenty-nine. Where's the thirtieth dollar? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, you lose as much sleep as you want over that. I told you if you do it the wrong way, it doesn't make sense all the time. They paid thirty dollars. <laughs> the guy sent back five dollars, makes it twenty-five dollars. Twenty-five. Three he gave back is twenty-eight, and two he had still is thirty. Okay. I didn't even understand the question because it's crooked. That's right. When you do things crooked, so the the, the irony of making a, something crooked look straight is fantastic. When the guy couldn't dance, and he said he couldn't dance because the floor was crooked, it had nothing to do with his dancing. So they, the Friedrich Rebbe's grandmother wanted that she should have money, and the Rashab was not so keen on that idea. And the Pale, they didn't look for somebody with money. <coughs> so the came from a family that was not very rich. So they went, the Rashab went, Erevim Kippur, to his mother to ask Mechila, to ask for forgiveness for not listening to his mother. And she said, I'm going to tell you a story. There was once a fellow who lived in a small village. And the small village had a shul. But a small shul, because it's a small village. And it was, Yom Kippur was coming, and the small-time fellow in the small village with the small shul decided he wanted to be a big-time fellow in a big shul, in a big village, for Yom Kippur. So he told his family that we're going to go to the big town, which is about four hours away, and there, there's a big shul, down with a lot of people. And we'll spend your keeping there with our families, relatives. But it's four hours, the seven keeper, so let's not mess around. Let's do it right. We got to leave eight o'clock in the morning. Now, um, I can tell you what it's like to try to mobilize all the troops at the time you want them to leave. Chances are a snowball in July. But, but, if you're a stickler, you say, I'm sticking to my schedule, I'm doing what I want, you're not going to be there? Do it out you. Do it out you. And Kachava, 8 o'clock in the morning, they weren't ready. So 9 o'clock, he said, listen, here, boy, say, I'm taking the horse and wagon. You guys get another horse and wagon. I'm taking this route and you'll catch up with me. Tell you guys, I'm going to take it slow. I want to get there on time for Yom Kippur. Good. He got in his horse and wagon. He started to ride. He rode about two hours. And they weren't catching up with him. So he goes, this is all the story that the Rebbe was telling. 
He's got some time still. But you know what? I'm going to pull over until they let him catch up. I'm going to take a rest. And his rest became very deep and he fell very asleep. In the interim, the family decided to take a different route. They didn't take the route that they made up. And they left him sleeping. And by the time he woke up, there was no time to return, there was no time to get to the city. So he saw that he's spending a kippah here on the roadside. First reaction, after wanting to spend in the big city and not having to spend yourself, not even in the shul, in the shul, in the small city, first reaction would be those children, how despicable, how disgusting they let me down. He turns and he says, My children forgot me. They forgot me, they went on a different route, they forgot which route we made up. They deserted me, and I ended up being alone for Yom Kippur. I forgive them. Full-heartedly. You know what, Rebbe Your children forgot you. Your turn. Forgive them full-heartedly. And to which, he davened his Yom Kippur davening. There's this one little story that I want to tell of Yom Kippur. It's late. Samach Tzedek had a very interesting story. He sent a chassid to a certain town to inspire for Hashem Yom Kippur. And he came to that certain town and there was nobody to inspire. Everybody was religious. Everybody was from. Everybody was doing their thing. Nobody was interested in hearing him. But what? Samach Tzedek sent me. Started to inquire, inquire, and they told him, listen, Honestly, there's a little shtetl, little town not far off, about an hour away. It's made up of Kantanistan. Kantanistan were children that were taken away as, as little children from their families, and the Russian Zari, Makshamari Zakhrai, tortured them for years on end to make them forget that Judaism and that they were Jewish, put them in the army, put them wherever they had to go, wherever he wanted them. And um, a lot of them never forgot totally they were Jewish. The ones who held on until they were able to escape or get away from it were known as Kantanistan. This whole town village of Kantanistan. Maybe you go there. He comes to this, starts to walk. It sounds like a patent. It sounds like something the Rebbe might want me to do. And he starts to walk and to travel and travel to the place where the Kantanistan finally. He's not coming, he's not finding anything. All of a sudden he comes to this little village and says, Maybe this is it. And one guy comes running out, sees a Chassid and he gives him Shalom Aleichem. And from all the corners, all of a sudden, they all start coming out. Shalom Aleichem. They're all very excited. And they all say to him, one second, and they all back off, and they huddle, and have conversation, they turn to him, and one fellow says to him, and you see everybody nodding their heads, hoping that he's going to answer, yes, positive. Susan. And the fellow asked him, Will you stay here for Yom Kippur and leave the davening? He said, Sure. Can you do Kalnidre? He says, Yeah. Do Shachris, yeah. Mincha, Musaf, yeah. Mincha, yeah. Kriya, yeah. So he thought, maybe. They don't know, there's one more, there's Nila. And all of a sudden they say, but not Nila. Not Nila? No. One of us does Nila. 
Now this story is very similar to Yashin Melagorelik's story when he showed up his first year in Shlichus in Milan. We'll hopefully be able to tell both a second. Came davening, and he davened, he says, like he never davened in his life. The, the crowd was so moved and so emotional and so involved with his tefillah, he felt he was flying. Came the end of davening, and now it's Nila time. So he steps away from the Yomit and sits down. And one of the contestants goes up to the Yomit, takes off his towels. Chassid said they're getting the wrong picture. Takes off his jacket. He starts uploading his shirt. He says, hold on. The fellow takes off his shirt and all the scars all over his body from the beatings that the czar had given him as a child that literally scarred for life from it. And he says, Can you justify this? You can't justify this. You can't. Ju- we don't have to justify anything we did. I put back on his shirt and his coat and his talus, and then they started Nila. Geshen Mendel had a different mission. When he came to Nila, he was totally unprepared. All of a sudden, there was a patch. Everybody rolled up their sleeves. They were all survivors. They all had numbers on their arm, and they stood like this during Nila with their numbers facing there on Kedesh. Let the Abish to try to tell us no to what we want to ask. And there's no Erev Tavshil this week. Unless you want to come to Shalom Zacha, then you have to make an Erev Tavshil and wear your Arbis on a bendel. Um, otherwise there's no solution for Shalom Zacha. My son-in-law never called me and says, it's not fair. My first son's bris was on that first day Pesach. <laughs> So we had a Shalom Zacha, but we didn't have a Vachnacht. And now we're having a Vachnacht, but no Shalom Zacha. So I told him, if you weren't such a Kamtsan, and you would have made a pigeon a Ben for your son, the first son, then you wouldn't have had this problem. <laughs> He's a Kayan, though. So it's not an issue. I know, but not everybody that hears that story is going to know that. They'll think I had a fight with my son-in-law. And we just wish one another, and we forgive everyone, we forgive our friends, we forgive our enemies, and we forgive everybody that there is in Kali Yisrael, and we ask God to forgive us as well. And to write us in to be Gemar Chzima Teva, Mishana Teva Masuka, and should be in Yerushalayim, in Akedish.